Hello and welcome to CMO Convo, the podcast from CMO Alliance, where we explore the big issues facing top-level marketers. Today, we're joined by Stacey Danheiser, who's leveraged 14 years in corporate marketing into her role as a fractional CMO, consulting for a range of Fortune 500 companies. She's here to share her perspective on one of the biggest obstacles for CMOs and how to bridge it, the confidence gap. This episode brought to you by Deep Crawl. Savvy CMOs know that SEO has never been a more important part of their marketing mix. Ranking at the top of Google search results has a direct impact on revenue by lowering customer acquisition costs, but content and keyword optimization is only part of the picture. Following recent search engine updates, your overall website health and technical performance are key to ranking well in 2021 and beyond. With DeepCrawl's all-in-one technical SEO and website health platform, your team will have the tools it needs to track your website's technical performance, improve page ranking, and stay top of mind with customers by staying top of the search results in Google. Join leading brands who already use DeepCrawl, including teams at Adobe, eBay, Twitch, PayPal, Microsoft, and Canva. Visit deepcrawl.com to ensure your brand reaches its full revenue potential through the one initiative most... Hi, Stacey. Welcome to CMO Combo. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us because it's a, it's a good topic that we're talking about today. It's a topic that's very relevant to a lot of the issues that are facing CMOs today. I've, I've had many conversations with CMOs on this program. One of the chief things is about how to, how to really sell their role to the wider organizations. And I think that goes right to what we're talking today about today, which is the confidence gap, which is... Absolutely, yeah. You think, you think that wouldn't be a deal for CMOs? Like you've hit the top of the marketing ladder. Surely you should have that confidence levels, but apparently not in the, the current, uh, current climate. Exactly. And things are always changing. I think that adds additional pressure to, to constantly be staying on top of it. Definitely, definitely. So before we dig into that, Stacey, um, maybe you could introduce yourself to our audience. Tell us a bit about yourself and um, your approach to the CMO role as well. Yes. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Stacey Danheiser. I am based in South Florida in the U.S., and my original background, I actually started my marketing career in the consumer marketing side, um, worked there for about six or seven years before being pulled into the B2B side. And uh, I spent several years um, working for, for various corporations, in fact, five different Fortune 500 companies, um, leading marketing in, in various roles across strategy and execution, uh, field marketing. So I've, I've really played in a variety of roles. And now I run a consultancy where I am a fractional CMO and I really work with um, scaling companies and business units that I would call are neglected within Fortune 500 companies to help them uh, tap into customer value and really set up a marketing engine. So let's talk about the confidence gap. What do, what do we mean when we're talking about a confidence gap? Because as I said, you, you just, you'd expect CMOs to be confident there shouldn't be a gap there. So what, what do we mean by a confidence gap when it comes to this kind of level of marketing leadership? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a really good, um, there's a couple of stats that I found that I, I was really fascinated with. And I think this sort of gets to the heart of the matter. Um, the first is that there was, there was a study done um, looking at the top Fortune 100 companies and, and the background that these CEOs have. And only 13% of them actually had a marketing background. So if you think about CMOs and who they're working with on a daily basis, you know, it's, it's primarily CEO and then who is like the right-hand person to the CEO typically is the CFO. So you have two functions that don't really come from a marketing or sales background, don't necessarily really understand it. And so that's kind of one issue. Um, the other is that 
there's a, um, a study that was done by Boathouse, 2021 CMO survey, and they said that, look, on one hand, CMOs really believe, 86% of CMOs believe that they, that CMOs have the power to influence decisions at the C-suite, but only 34% have great confidence in their CMOs. So, you know, when we talked about the confidence gap, that's really what it is. You know, on the one hand, they want, the C-suite wants to give more power and influence to marketing, but they're just not confident that their, that their talent um, is in the right place and can, can perform that. What, 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 are the, what are the potential impacts of this confidence gap then? Is it, is it just that they're not getting the resources that yeah. they need? They're not getting the, the investment that they need? Does that have wider well, implications? Oh yeah, absolutely. So I think there's, um, let's talk personal, the personal implications, which is burnout. Yeah. Huge amounts of stress and overwhelm and imbalance and then high turnover. I mean, if the CMO is the highest, you know, turnover position in, in out of any of the C-suite positions. Um, and so we can't ignore the fact that, you know, and I, this is, you know, when I work with, with companies and I see this happen, it's like, it's everybody's like on this hamster wheel of just production and production and production. And, and really the root cause of that is that they're reacting and they're not really in control of their marketing plan or strategy. And so the implication of course, is not only for the, the company that this is a, a very expensive problem to fix when you have to constantly replace this role every three to five years. Um, but think of all of the people also on the marketing team who are kind of growing up in this environment, right? And we have this um, confidence problem happening on a wider scale, not just with the CMO, but literally everybody in a marketing role um, in some regards. And there's a handful of companies, I would say, that, that value marketing and really understand it, but most of them do not. Um, and, and what I've seen, uh, you know, and then of course, sorry, the, the, the other implication I think is, is directly with, with customers. So you have, you know, personally, here's what's happening in your career. Then you have this expensive problem to, to replace um, this function and constantly be starting over. But then you also have a customer gap. And if you think about, you know, what marketing is designed to do, it's really to be in tune with customers. And so ultimately they're the ones losing, right? Because maybe more people could be helped or maybe they could be helped in a better way or could be reached in a better way. Um, and they're not, they're not able to function and focus really on that part of their, their role if they're constantly kind of worried about reacting to all the internal um, ideas and, and requests that come over, so typically in the marketing. Yeah, you've, you've mentioned um, one thing which is feeling very reactionary in, in your role as, as sort of like a red flag for if there is this confidence gap in place. Is, is there anything else that CMOs need to watch out for to kind of think, oh, something's going wrong here. I need to sort of course correct to try and try and bridge the confidence gap, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, well, we're going to get into it. I actually have, there's, you know, three three main shifts that I have discovered um, working with many different companies and CEOs in, in this, this CMO role that that I think every marketer should make. Um, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about what those those things are that, because there are some red flags, I think, that you could look through along the way. I've, I've um, I'll, I'll just give you a sort of side note observation uh, because I also work with sales folks and I get called in sometimes by the sales team because they're frustrated that the marketing team is producing things that the sales team can't use or don't need or is irrelevant for customers. Um, and it's interesting when I then go talk to the marketing team, they're like, nope, we're good. We got it. We know what we're doing. 
and you know getting to uh, some self-awareness I think is the first piece because it's always an uncomfortable position you know that when I talk to sales and they're complaining and then marketing is like no we're good I mean obviously right there is kind of a, a gap um, and and what I typically have noticed is that there's there's a um, a disconnect between the what the what the marketing team knows about the customer versus what the sales team knows about the customer and and I have seen sort of massive transformations when marketing starts to own um, know, knowing the customer the best so so the gap can go sideways as rather as well as like up and down so to speak it can, it can go between departments I'm sure there's other departments where this is a common thing I'm sure between like sort of like the finance departments and marketing departments it can be a bit of a confidence Absolutely. gap in terms of like, is it worth investing money in marketing it's a marketing saying we're not getting enough investment to do the work we need to do i'm sure exactly frustrating relationships between marketing and product as well like marketers like we're trying our best to market the product the product isn't good enough and they're saying you're not selling the product properly you're not out there telling them what the product's about so this confidence gap i'm sure it can it can be almost like a confidence gap web, I suppose. It can spread all through the industry if things get, all through the organization if things get really, really dire. Yes, yes. And I've seen that on many cases <laughs> happen. Okay. Well, let's, let's dive into some of these, some of these cases because you're, you're going to talk us through um, sort of like these three, uh, am I right in saying sort of like case studies or is it like methodologies you've developed that we're, we're going to be talking about today? To yeah, I, I would, I mean, simply it's, it's really what I call three shifts that every marketer must make to gain massive credibility. And these are, are shifts in the way they're thinking and shifts on how you're spending your time. Um, I think there's been an overemphasis on understanding marketing technology over the last several years and has gotten really fully away from the root of what the marketing role is designed to do. It's not to become a marketing technology expert. Marketing was not ever set up to, you know, in any fundamental description of marketing is not, you know, to know the tech stack the best. Um, tech is there and it's great and it's, but it's there to assist, you know, the fundamental uh, role of marketing, which is to connect with customers and to be relevant and to, to share value. Because at the end of the day, if, you're, if you become an expert on a tech stack right now, that expertise could be completely irrelevant in like- Exactly. In just a year, it can be irrelevant. Things can change that quickly. Whereas understanding the principles of marketing and how to show the value of marketing, that, that's evergreen. That's going to be important to the marketing function forever, for as long as marketing exists, I suppose. Yes, exactly. So let, let's dive into these three shifts then. Um, where, do, you, do you have a particular order you want to run through them or is it, are we just going to pick Yeah, yeah, no. Through? Okay, so so I'll I'll um, I'll share a little bit about the first one and then we can chat about yeah. kind of some insights around there. So um, the first one is what I call know your role. And this is interesting because um, if you ask different uh, organizations what they think the marketing function is, you'll get different answers. So in one company I worked at, um, marketing was synonymous with events and party planning. Marketing does all of our trade shows and they do all of our events. And they, you know, if we want to do, if sales ever wants to do any sort of event, you know, they call the marketing department. And that's, that's how marketing was perceived. In another organization um, I worked at in financial services, marketing was synonymous with collateral because they have to, you know, produce quarterly required documents to send to all their customers and communications, you know, every, if there was a piece of 
content or collateral that was needed, whether it was regulatory or not, you know, the marketing team was producing that. And, and so it's, I would actually start there with, the, with doing a um, survey informally, even just conversations with, with the rest of the various depart departments, the CEO, the CFO, um, the sales team, the product team, and asking the question, like, what do you think marketing's role is in, in our company? And to get a feel for what you're starting with, because perception is reality for people. And you need to know kind of what, what, you're, what you're starting with. And if you view your role as highly strategic and informing the business, but everybody else sees you as, you know, producing content only, you know, then you, you know at least what you're working with and have a, a hill to climb there. Um, but I, I would, um, so that's kind of step one is just to, to really know kind of how marketing is perceived there. We, and we did this, um, so side note, I wrote, I co-authored a book called Standout Marketing. And we were evaluating the problem that we see happening today, which is that everybody's kind of copying and pasting from one another. And so you have, you know, what we call the sea of sameness, sea of sameness value proposition, sea of sameness on websites, even color palettes and logo design. I mean, everything kind of looks and sounds the same. And we did this analysis across three different industries where we scraped the top 40 companies um, in globally in telecom data centers and then UK universities. And we scraped their websites and we scraped Twitter feeds and we found this problem, it persists. It didn't really matter what industry we we're looking at, this problem was, was relevant and, and um, prevalent. And so we, we were starting to dive deeper into understanding, well, why is this happening and why does it seem to be okay? If, because on the, we, and so we started, we, we did some interviews and we did surveys and we talked to global marketing and sales and business leaders across the US and UK. And we found that um, there was a competency gap and there's kind of five key competencies that are, are missing. Um, and, and they're kind of a di different, different levers that you could pull within a marketing organization. Um, and so we published that in our book and it's, it's, we called it the value competency framework because it, the acronym spells value of the, of the five competencies, which I'll just run through quickly. Um, our visionary, you know, being able to, to set your sites and to see where things are going. Activator, which tr traditionally marketers are really good. This is execution, um, but also getting buy-in for those ideas. A learner, which is constantly staying in touch with what's happening. Um, usefulness, which is the ability to create something that customers want and would find useful, whether that's content or products or even pricing frameworks um, or offers. And then lastly with evaluator, the ability to look objectively at your programs and to figure out, okay, is it working? Is it not? Should we keep it? Should we kill it? Um, but we, one of the questions that we asked in preparation for coming up with that framework was, what do you view as the role of marketing? And what do you view as the role of sales? And um, we got some, some different answers from people, which is, which is why I go back to this, you know, know your role, because you know, we were talking to very seasoned business um, leaders and CEOs and, and marketers, and we even got different answers. So, so sometimes people would say, uh, marketing is responsible for the brand. They own you know, what, the look and the feel, and, and the messaging and all of that. Um, marketing is responsible for strategy, coming up with the marketing strategy and, and telling us you know, where to go and, and who to target. 
Um, sales enablement was a big one that, that they said marketing was responsible for, demand gen, um, and then some org organizational alignment on what customers value. So it's just an interesting, um, an interesting exercise, I think, to, to really understand you know, what, what role does marketing play within your organization and then how, how do you influence that for what you want it to be, which, which frankly should be to um, connect the dots for, to customers, um, to company goals, and then to the sales team to help um, achieve those. So that's, that's the first step is sort of knowing what your role is. What are the, what are, what are the results of knowing this? What, what, what actionable things can you take once you once you know your role like is that is that the next shift is that what we're moving on to then or is it or is there something within this shift that that's it yeah i mean this is this is really i mean this is um yeah we can we can move on to the next one but i think the, the big thing here is like i said knowing knowing what you are um what you're what you're set up for um and i'll just i'll give you sort of a, an example when i was I was surprised because I, I, I mentioned that I started my career in consumer marketing and then I switched over to B2B and I was surprised that there was a question about the value of marketing within B2B that was not there for B2C. And what I realized was that the reason that that question of value came up was because in B2C, you do not have a sales team. You have maybe a call center, right? Or some people that are placing orders, but they're not really a sales organization marketing is responsible for the sales. And so they're driving, you know, uh, online sales, for example, or however, however you're doing sales in, in the consumer um, organization. On the, the B2B side, you have marketing that then connects to sales that then connects to the customer. And sales is very measurable. And there's a formula for it. If I hire X number of salespeople, and let's say they meet 50% of quota, then I'm going to get Y revenue. And CEOs and CFOs like that because it's a formula and they can, they can apply it. They try to do the same approach to marketing and it doesn't work. And so they, well, why, you know, we send X number of emails and we do X number of events and we do X number of ads, you know, we should be able to see this consistent and repeatable thing every, every time. Um, and, it, and as we know, as marketers, it just doesn't always occur that way. Um, so I think, yeah, I think, knowing knowing what the role is and knowing where you sit in the organization and knowing you know just again the perception that that marketing can play and where marketing can add the most value depending on how everything is perceived is a really um, important step to to not to not ignore so definitely definitely um yeah um, knowing knowing your function within the business knowing what engines you're driving has got to be one of the chief responsibilities of a cmo that should be probably day one, you should sit down and, and work that out. Like if, like, even if there isn't a red flag throwing up that there's a competence gap, you should do this as soon as you walk into the door as a, as a new CMO, probably. Yeah, yep. Okay, so then that leads us on to the second one, which is know your customer. Now, of course, this was gonna come up, <laughs> but it's shocking to me because like I said, I consult and do, um, I conduct customer research and customer interviews for, for various clients. And it's surprising how many of them, and we're talking big companies as well as small and scaling companies are completely out of touch with their customers. Most organizations actually sit around a room and they ideate on, well, what do you think the customer 
values? Well, what do you think the customer is struggling with? Well, what do you think the customer would want? And nobody actually has any insight or ever talks to a real customer. Everybody's just sitting around kind of sharing their ideas. And I have seen massive um, shifts in credibility when marketing comes to the table and says, we've commissioned some research, we've talked to our top customers, we've conducted some surveys, and here's the result of that. And all of a sudden, everybody kind of sits up like, it's no longer a battle of opinions now. Somebody has real facts and real data about, about customers. Um, and this is, this is something that, you know, like I said, is surprisingly not happening within many marketing organizations today. And this, this is something that every marketer um, really should have their pulse on. And this is, you know, we, we um, a, another book that I co-authored was called Valueology. And the whole entire book was about how to create value propositions. And what we found was that and there's a stat, 83% of marketers do not know what a value proposition is, how to define it, or how to create one. And so it's a term that's, that's really misused in organizations. Um, even value, when you say value, like 50 ideas will get thrown around as to what, what value actually means. Um, but we define a value proposition as, as simply a promise in the future that a customer is going to get a stated value of something that they care about in exchange for, for money to your organization. And, you know, value is uh, like, we, we like beauty in the eye of the beholder. And so you cannot just have one value proposition that you, that's a blanket value proposition for the whole, for every customer that you serve. It's really um, individualized. So this is why it's really important for marketing to, to kind of own that research and to, to understand, okay, here are the different, um, segments that we're targeting. Here's what we know about key customer business issues that are facing those various segments. Here's how we believe we can answer those problems um, related to that particular segment or vertical. Um, and then this is where marketing and sales work together. And, and you'll see like, you know, with ABM account-based marketing, for example, like some of this, this value stack starts to um, appear because marketing is really on the hook to understand What's going on in the industry? What's going on in this vertical? How does it specifically relate to this customer? And maybe how does it relate to Bob who's in the IT department at that customer? And so you have, you know, marketing and sales kind of working hand in hand to kind of figure all of that out. Um, but this is like on a broad scale, marketing absolutely should know the first sort of rungs of that value stack ladder, which are the, the, the key business issues facing the industry. Um, specific industry verticals, you know, as it relates to customer segments, and then um, what we call core proposition themes, which is essentially what are those big themes and, and how can you solve those, those problems the best? Um, so we work with organizations to help them come up with their value proposition. And what we find is, you know, going back to that sea of sameness problem, a lot of people will say, um, we help your business grow. That's our value proposition is that we help our, your business grow. But because everybody else is saying that, and because the, um, there's no proof points, it really just feels like an empty promise. And so, you know, customers are smart and they kind of just glaze over that or roll their eyes. Um, and, and maybe if, if you say something a little bit different, they'll say, they'll pause for a second and say, that's interesting, you know, by how much, how much do you help customers grow? And how are you proving that? And how are you measuring that over time? So this is like, I would say more, um, 
a more sophisticated approach to, to um, deeply understanding customers. This is beyond just buyer personas, right? And understanding kind of ideal customer profiles. But this is now spending time with, do I, do I know what they value? Do I know what they value as, a, as an organization in their role? And do I know what they value as an individual? How might this help them in their career? So um, it's, it's really fascinating, you know, when I've worked with organizations and, and heads of marketing, you know, to come in and, and share this information and all of a sudden, you know, there's, there is definitely more credibility earned from the marketing team because marketing is armed with this information and they have real, real data, which, which ultimately informs, by the way, better campaigns, better content, you know, more, re more relevance um, across the board. It's not just like copying and pasting what everybody else is doing in your industry. Yeah. And, and you, you mentioned it builds a good relationship with sales, but it's got to be useful to product departments as well, development departments, having this information on what cost customers value and also building that strong relationship with the product department allows you to interpret the features that are being developed in ways that are providing value to the customer. Like you, you're not going to say to a customer, oh, this microchip makes something, something run X percent faster. You're going to say this microchip will allow you to do this with your business in a more yeah. effective way. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I think that's a really good point that um, ultimately, yeah, if you think of who who wins by getting this information, it's every department. And so I've seen it where it's, you know, um, let's take, so you have product, here's what we learned about the product and here's how we learned what, what people are doing with the product and, and what value it's really adding in their business. So that's an insight. It's also insightful to marketing. Of course, how did you find out about us, and what what are you what do you need to learn, and what are you clicking on, et cetera, to to learn about this? And then on the the operations side, it's okay. Now we so remember, a value proposition is just a promise. It's a promise of what you're going to get in the future. How many organizations actually go back and say, "Did we deliver on that promise?" So all of this typically falls in the operations team, right? There, it's customer service and operations who hear all of these complaints if value was not received. Right. And so um, this is always really an interesting, like I get called in sometimes by the um, operations or supply chain customer service side to say, you know, help us understand, are we doing a good job? Are we, where are we missing the, the mark here? Because our sales team is promising this one thing. Are we delivering it? And, and there's always some insight that comes from that as well, because um, you, you typically you could find something even that's, that, that could be marketed as as a value like the onboarding process as an example wow it was a, fa a fabulous onboarding process and i got up and running and you know this portal is amazing and typically none of that stuff is in the marketing right until somebody until a customer raves about it and says this is really valuable in fact the only reason i work with you and continue to work with you is because of that portal and because the portal is amazing and because it's so easy and i never have to talk to anybody and <laughs> i can do everything i need to from the portal so yeah so it's and and even um and just like another example would be finance, even on the sort of accounting and finance side where we've, we've uncovered insights as it relates to billing, right? And how they're getting their bill and, and how to simplify that. And so um, again, if, you're, if your value proposition is we're, we're easy to work with and then 
you don't have, you have a very complicated 17 page bill that's, you know, written in a foreign language and it has a bunch of taxes or whatever. It's like, that doesn't feel right. This is not, we're not delivering on that promise. Yeah, the, too much of a disconnect there, definitely. Um, and plus, this isn't just a, a one and done exercise. Your customer, what your customer's value can change. I think I think particularly the last like, 18 months have yes. really shown how, how business goals can change. What what your customers valued in 2019 were probably very different in like, mid-2020. So it's something you've got to keep constantly updating, keep paying attention exactly. to. Exactly. Like, it's a constantly evolving. Yeah, and you know what? That's, that is an interesting point because we did some research early on right after the the um, pandemic started and we found that marketing teams were rushing to you know update communications like quick let's get a communication out there quick let's change something on the website um some of them were doing it because they were in touch with customers but most of them were not it was like well we saw our competitors send a bunch of stuff so we decided to do that or um, and so I, we did some we we did some research and found that like thirty percent of people had actually done any real customer outreach and talking to customers to to figure out okay what's changed what can we do what can we how can we help you what can we do to support you um, and sometimes customers don't know I mean a little bit this this is this is where the art form comes in right it's like art plus science it's like you're going to take that as one piece of data and then apply some creativity and intuition and brainstorming and you know it's like okay here's the problem how can we all collectively solve this together um versus i'm not i'm not suggesting like 100 percent reliance on what, what what customers are saying but i have just found that many marketing teams are fully out of touch with with what's happening with customers and they're relying too much on the sales team to tell them what customers are thinking or doing or saying without realizing um that sales is in it to sell something short term and so they're having a one point in time sort of conversation with the customer, not necessarily big picture, right? And looking at, um, at, at how this might impact the customer over the long haul. Uh, I suppose as well, the, the very act of just reaching out and asking a customer, like, what do they need from you? That's, that's gotta be a way of building bridges, building connections, particularly in those like moments of crisis, like, like, like the pandemic or in other circumstances similar to it. So just, just that very, I mean, as long as you take action on it, you can't just ignore what they say and say, oh, yes. we asked how they're doing, this is fine. Like, as long as you take action on what you've asked them, um, asked them questions about, like, that's got to be a very powerful way of building a bridge. Between Absolutely, you. yeah. And, and like I said, I get called in to do um, customer interviews on behalf of my, my clients. And every, it's, it's a huge um, boost in trust from the customer. They're like, oh, I love that they're doing this research. I love that they're actually interested enough to, ask me what my opinion is and what I think. And I'm happy to share this because, you know, I want, I, you know, customers ultimately chose you to work with. They want to see you get better. Definitely. I mean, that, that, that was part, it's like reinforcing their decision, you know, fundamentally, like from a psychology standpoint, it's like, if, if, if you look bad, if your company isn't doing well, it's like that ultimately reflects on me because I chose to work with you. And now I'm, I'm questioning my decision. Like, am I really in tune? Did I not listen to myself? Or <laughs> yeah, you put your you put your business on the line to invest in like purchasing from this company. So you want to make sure that that company is the right one that you've picked out. Definitely. Exactly. Definitely. Um, 
And then as okay. well, uh, uh, sorry, um, okay. are, we, are you ready to move on to, to uh, shift three? Is that where we're going? No, you, you, go, you go ahead if there's another uh, question. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was just going to say as well, um, like the, 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 the understandings that you get from customers, like the, the, the insights as well, they, they can provide really, really valuable marketing materials as well. Um, like being able to build up case studies based around them, even, even find like good taglines and stuff like that. You can pull such like nuggets of wisdom. As you said, like stuff about billings, Absolutely. like you might not have known at all, this is what your customers really loved about your company. But if you talk to them, you can find out things that you would never know about why they love working with you. So that's, it's a very yeah. powerful tool just having that conversation. Yeah, and I would say, again, this goes back to um, shift number one, which is knowing your role, because I have worked in organizations and with organizations where marketing wasn't necessarily allowed to talk to customers. And, you know, again, it's, it's um, everything had to be filtered through the sales team. Well, if marketing, this is just a side story, but <laughs> if marketing doesn't understand sales, I mean, not very many marketers actually came from a sales role. Most people start in marketing, they go over to sales. Salespeople don't really ever, you know, I've worked with a couple salespeople that ended up in marketing and then they went back to sales because they realized it was, it was actually hard. Is it not as easy as they thought it was going to be? Um, but marketers that um, know the sales function can, can help sell the value of why it's important for marketing to talk to customers versus if marketers don't understand the sales cycle and the sales function, um, they, they actually will not get invited to go to customer meetings. And so when marketing says, hey, can I attend you know, a customer meeting? The sales team, if they don't find value in what you're doing or they don't necessarily trust you, then they're not going to, you know, all the, the customer's busy for the next quarter. Nope, sorry, we, <laughs> we can't get a meeting with them. Um, and I've seen this happen and, you know, diving a little bit deeper in this, realized, oh, this is because um, marketing was seen as event planners. And the sales team is like, I don't need you sitting around asking questions about, you know, the next event. And what should the topic of our webinar be? And, you know, did you like the food at our last party or whatever? And they're like, that's not going to help me ultimately sell something. So um, there is an element of just understanding sales and, and, and being credible with the sales organization by speaking their language as well. So it's, you know, it's not just. It's, no, it's knowing what they value as well. It's knowing what they're, it's exactly. knowing the value, the value prop of marketing you can give to, uh, to sales. So to take those examples that you said then about events, not what should the subject of our webinar be, which would be what webinars can we provide to get, to allow you to get the most out of our products? Like what can, what can we have at our events that will help you make the most out of our products that kind of thing it's about what yeah. showing value behind the marketing activities exactly yep and realizing too i mean and this is again this is kind of a trend that i'm seeing most marketing functions right now are focused on acquisition mm -hmm. not on retention and you saw the shift in the pandemic where all of a sudden it was oh my gosh we better do something to secure our current customer base so they don't all just flee which is why we all got those emails. It was like, we value you and we love you. And <laughs> I must have got a hundred of those within a week because people were, you know, were realizing, shoot, we haven't really done any retention marketing and we haven't really told people that we, we value them. So that was a, you know, 
elementary attempt, I guess, at, at creating retention. But a lot of this too, um, that we're talking about knowing the customer and, and, and the sales process is about future business. And it's securing the customer base and not just on how do we get new customers constantly in the door and how do we do demand gen, get more leads. It's about how do we cultivate that relationship with the customer so that they're with us for the next 10 years and not just, you know, hey, I did my job and I brought them in the door, but then they left after a month. Because that, that's, so, uh, you, you touched on that earlier as well. You said um, sales is focused on the short term. Marketing should be focused on the long-term relationship. Yeah. It should be about the full customer lifetime value, not just the initial Absolutely. sale. Absolutely, exactly. Yeah, and that so that leads a little bit so onto our third shift here, um, which I call know the business, um, which said differently is around internal marketing. Mm -hmm. So this is a big opportunity. Um, and you know, if we look at again the, the role of marketing, I always I always envision that marketing has two main um, main customers. You have your end customer, and you need to know all about your end customer and ideal customer profiles and segments and content and all that stuff that you're doing to understand customers. But you also have to do the same thing internally um, and knowing especially who the power players and influencers are internally. So sometimes in organizations, that's the product team, you know, who has a really um, prominent role and, and understanding kind of product management and product road mapping and understanding um, how that plays in. Other times it's sales. I've seen, um, I've worked in organizations where the sales leaders were the most influential. So it's like, if you got the sales stakeholders on your side and, and bought in, then, then you were golden and can do what you um, wanted. But um, going back to that stat I was shared earlier that only 34% of the CEOs believe that they're confident in their CMOs. The, do you know what the number one reason was in the gap, for the gap um, is, is that marketing uses too much jargon, too much marketing jargon. <laughs> and so they're actually not speaking the language of the business. And so, um, and this is an interesting exercise and you can even do this you know, with, with yourself and with your marketing team, with the people on, on your team. Um, but when I ask these questions, um, I, I typically find that a lot of people cannot answer them within the marketing team. So the first one is, you know, what are our revenue targets? Do we, do we actually know what our revenue targets are? Now, if you ask a salesperson, they know they have this thing memorized. I mean, it's like day in, day out. I know exactly how much I have to sell this quarter, this month, this week, this day. Um, but when you typically ask a marketer, what are the revenue targets? And then how is that broken down? Is it broken down by geography or by customer segment or by quarter or by you know, month, how do we measure this and what are those um, revenue targets? So that's kind of the first one. Um, the second is which of our customers are profitable and why? So again, looking at customer segmentation, not all customers are created equal. And, you know, sometimes marketers are like, oh, I got the lead in the door and I feel good, but not necessarily understanding that there's different levels, right? And different tiers of leads that did we get somebody in our top 100 of customers that we really wanted um, or is it just somebody that responded? So understanding which customers are profitable and, and why um, helps to then get more insight on the problems that your company might uniquely be set up to solve. 
Um, and so it's like, oh, we, we actually really enjoy working with this particular customer group and they're profitable. Like there might be something there with, with um, the unique problems that that customer group is facing um, that, your, that your company can help with. Um, the third is who are our top competitors? So again, you ask sales this question and they're gonna rattle off, here's the people I, I constantly run into or here's who my customers are comparing us to or when I get objections, you know, this, these are the questions that they're asking, but marketers um, and product uh, managers as well, like who do, who do we envision our, is our top competitor? Um, and what makes us different and better than those competitors? And realizing that by the way, one of those competitors might be that they're doing it internally. So it might not even be an external source, but it's like, oh, we, we insource this. You know, we have no, we have no um, desire to outsource this. That's a competitor, right? Because you're now competing with internal resources. So um, having a, a sense of what you're up against is really helpful. And then lastly, how do we make money? So, you know, do we understand which products are bringing in the money, which customers and markets and geographies are bringing in the money? Um, you know, you ask a CFO, they know this to a T, but a lot of marketing folks do not. So, you know, this goes back to knowing the business. Do we understand what it is that we're trying to achieve? Because it's really, you know, it's really hard for marketing to connect the dots from what a customer uh, cares about to how the company can help solve the problem when they don't actually know the, the company side of it, right? I mean, that marketing is the bridge between the two. And so they have to, they have to really um, get plugged into both of those. I, I, suppose so, that, I suppose that goes back to what you said you were saying earlier about marketing being too well CMOs in particular being too reactionary with how they approach things uh, if they don't know their business they're waiting for other people to tell them what to do in that respect whereas having that deep breadth of knowledge allows you to be proactive and go out there and push these products yes. that are profit drivers in an effective way exactly and I think and that's a really good point because a lot of um burnout that I see is because you know, somebody has a great idea. Oh, I have a great idea. We should go start a podcast. Okay, that's a lot of work. I have a really great idea. We should go participate in this thing or go build a partnership with this new company or, you know, whatever. A lot of these ideas are thrown out there and, mar and some marketers go and just start executing. Okay, well, the CEO said that we have to go build a partnership with this company and that's what we're going to go focus on versus like timeout. How does this relate back to our, our strategy, our company goals and our strategy and what we know about the customer groups that are profitable and the products that we're selling right now? Um, so there's a, I like to use the um, impact versus effort kind of four box grid where you, you see, okay, which this idea came up. Okay. Is this, is this a low impact or high impact? And is it, is it going to take a lot of work, is it high effort or low effort? And if there's something that's, you know, low effort, high impact, that's like a quick win. Go do that all day long. Um, but there's other things that are high effort, high impact. Those are major marketing initiatives, right? And, and things that really need to be evaluated to say, okay, that, that's fine. We will go overhaul the entire um, partnership program as an example, but that means some, we're not doing something else or we're gonna to have to hire somebody else to take on this, this extra work um, because people just don't have a full appreciation, I think, for how much effort is really involved for some of these um, ideas that are, <laughs> that, are, that are thrown around. And I think that is a part of the marketing, the marketer's role is to say, you know, to, to really evaluate that objectively. And, and to really evaluate that as well, you have to have a deep understanding of the business as well. Like something that seems 
low impact, uh, low, low effort to the marketing department that requires input from other departments might take high effort from them. So having an awareness of how the different business functions, functions, mm -hmm. how they're, what they're prioritizing at the time allows you to get to know when to make these kinds of activations, when to engage them, when to know, like when they have the scope to be able to help you out with certain projects as well. So having that understanding exactly. allows you to be more effective with planning out these kinds of activities. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a great point that um, a lot of these expand, especially when we talked about marketing tech at the beginning, it, a lot of these, there's a tech implication, which means your IT, you know, department has to get involved and there might be integrations that are necessary and there's a whole bunch of other work streams that get kicked off as a result of that so it's not just contained necessarily within the marketing uh, function so it's um it's a bit of a, of a uh a process to to figure it out but i have found that that's a, a really good tool the impact versus effort grid is a good tool to help get everybody on the same page that's okay guys, is this really worth it? And sometimes mm -hmm. the answer is yes. And other times it's like, yeah, let's, let's maybe look at that next year. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, so what's the, what's the process in getting to know your business? Because the first two seem pretty clear. Like you, you talk to your customers, you talk to other parts of the business about what your function is within the, the, the business. How do you go about getting to know your business as a CMO? Like how do you get to know what kind of language yeah. you should be using to speak to your CEO? Particularly since we said, turnover is very high you don't often have time to be spending ages getting to know your ceo on like a personal level and know how they function you need to know how to speak to them sort of like almost day yeah. one yeah exactly yeah i mean it depends i guess if it's a public company versus a private company mm -hmm. so public company i would say um you have access to all of this in your annual reports your quarterly reports are you listening to this do you understand it um number two is, is partnering with the cfo either the CFO or somebody on the CFO's team um, to really dive deep into how this whole thing is being reported, what's important, because they, they actually really have a, have a really good pulse on what the CEO cares about. Um, and I've found that that's a really good resource that, you know, because finance, I remember um, when I was in marketing and in one organization and, and we had a finance partner and we would meet every, every month and sometimes my eyes would glaze over because it's all numbers. And I'm like, oh, I just want to do something creative and talk about ideas and strategies and, you know, this interesting thing I learned about a customer and not necessarily all the numbers, but, but ended up building a really good partnership with them because I'm like, can you explain this to me? Explain what this number and how, how I should be thinking about this and how I can report on it or look at it later. Um, and they had some, you know, great, suggestions and ideas that ultimately it's like I have to be able to present what I'm doing through the lens of all of that um, that spreadsheet a spreadsheet of data and so the more I understood about what those numbers meant and how they were derived and how I could potentially tie my activity to it then I was it was like okay we're now we're speaking the same language because I'm presenting it in a way that if this is what the CEO is looking at every single day like I need to I need to understand this and I need to know how to read it and I need to know what it what's um, what's important there. The with regard to so that's kind of on the, the finance side. The other side, I mean, of course, is with the um, with the it's. I guess it, I don't know who who would own this necessarily. I mean, I'm trying to think. In in my past, it's been different departments that own like customer data, but um, 
getting access, just asking the question like, oh, can we look at our, can we look at our data by industry? Can we look at our data by geography? Can we look at our data by product? Can we look at our data by sales cycle? And just like all the different cuts um, of this data end up kind of illuminating different, uh, different issues. So one of the jobs that I did was um, I went in the strategy side. So I, I worked in um, an organization was pretty big. And so I could, I could move around and play different roles. And one of, one of them was going over to more of the strategic side. It was kind of outside of marketing a little bit. It was more on the, the strategy uh, business uh, function. And I ended up having to evaluate customer. We had just acquired a company and it was like spreadsheets of data. Here's all the customers that we just acquired, like go figure out what to do with them. And it was thousands of rows of data looking at these customers because um, we found out through this analysis. And again, because I had a, a really good data partner who was way more skilled at looking at um, advanced formulas than I was. Um, but I just would ask the question, they went and pulled the data and I'm like, well, can we look at this by this, um, this mark? And I'm really curious if anybody here is like a fortune 500 company. And so then I had to go pull data that, you know, here's a list of fortune 500 companies. Can you match the fortune 500 companies up to this customer list? And so lo and behold, like 10,000 rows of data later, realized that there was, there was a large percentage of fortune 500 companies that were sitting in our inside sales function which of course we're never gonna buy from inside sales. Um, so we had to kind of remove all those. We, we took a whole bunch, a big chunk of these customers and moved them over to um, the field sales team. And then we left some of them over with inside sales, but a lot of, it was just a, a big sort of data exercise, right? But it, but it all started with asking the question, well, can we look at the data like this? Well, can, what if we overlaid this other piece of information, right? So it's kind of just getting curious um, and not waiting to be told what to go look at, but but actually leading the charge on that. Um, and then finally, I think it's talking to your sales team and sitting on the sales calls, listening to what the sales team is saying and asking the questions like, okay, well, what objections are you guys getting? Well, what's, what's confusing about our product? What's, what's um, confusing about our pricing? Are people, what, what questions are they asking about? Whatever, whatever part of the sales cycle that they're in so that you can get more insight um, and especially as it relates to like what the sales team is up against and then the competition. Um, and one of the best tools for that in particular is, is doing a win loss analysis. So I don't know if you know, you've done those in your past, but it's, <laughs> it's looking at in sitting down with the sales team, the product team, the, and the marketer really leading the charge to, to do almost like a, a post-mortem interview Tell, tell us about the process, the sales process and how, how it went. And did we do an RFP? Yes or no. And did we win or lose the deal? And then diving deeper into to why we won or lost. On the surface, a lot of this data is captured in like Salesforce. If the sales team goes to a drop down menu, you know, we, we lost the deal, reason, price, you know, submit. And price is never the reason. Price just means we didn't communicate value very well. They didn't, they didn't see the value in what we were doing for the, for the money that we were saying it was going to cost. And so I always look at that like, okay, no price is that's like a surface level description of, of what really happened. Let's, let's dive deeper into what we, what we did wrong. And did we have the right people involved? Did they find value in it? 
and maybe we maybe we we didn't communicate our values somewhere along the way. And so, um, win loss analysis is, is something that we have found is really impactful and also gets you know the marketing function a seat at the table because they're now asking those relevant questions and they want to know and they want to learn and um, and it demonstrates that they understand the business and and the sales process, frankly. Yeah, because um, looking at so, um, particularly the losses have got to be extremely valuable. Um, like if you're just looking at the wins and repeating them ad nauseum, eventually you're going to run out of people who are in that sort of amenable win status. Whereas looking at the losses, you can look at how to communicate the value. Uh, going back to like knowing what your customers value, you get to know what your customers value by what they say no to, I think, more than what they say yes to. Yes. At the end of the yep. day you know what their priorities are. Like, like you were saying with price, price can mean very different things. It can mean very, very different things for different businesses. So having that kind of conversation, having those actions in place, got to be extremely valuable to CMOs and marketing functions, particularly as a way of getting your a seat at the table as well. Like being involved in those kinds of conversations is going to build bridges with the sales team because it shows you're taking, taking proactive measures to improve their function as well within the business like you're not just thinking about the marketing function you're thinking about the sales function so to sort of like sum these three shifts together it sounds to me it's about knowing the right questions to ask as a cmo as the means to building uh, building this bridge across the confidence gap it's knowing who to ask the right questions to and when to ask the right questions Uh, so that's that, that if I'm going to sum everything up and, perfect I love it yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, that that's kind of a summary yeah right and I there. think yeah. yes exactly and I would just I would just add um because I think we've gotten away from this a little bit you know marketers are expected to have all of the answers and it's actually recognizing that you could come to the table with some curiosity and and not being afraid to ask those questions um rather than hey everybody's looking at me and I have to know everything it's it's going to be okay if I, I'm coming with curiosity and I'm, I'm asking the question that everybody's thinking, by the way, you're just, you know, need the, the courage to, and the boldness to ask it. I think there's some, like, to get weirdly esoteric right now, but I think that there's some, there was a philosopher who says that you should think about the world with the mind of a child, the curiosity of a child, and children can ask very, very poignant, very, like, deep questions that you wouldn't expect them to ask. And I'm not saying that marketers have to start being children, but to get like the right. wisdom that they need, you need to start thinking about it. What are the questions that we're not asking? What are the questions that aren't exactly. being asked? And mm-hmm. sometimes you might piss people off by asking certain questions, but if they're the right questions that need to be asked, then you'll gain more respect by having asked those questions as well, I think. Exactly. And I found more times than that, um, the questions lead to really good conversations. And most of the time people will pause and say, hmm, that's a really good question. I don't, I don't know that we know the answer to that. But it's, you know, as the facilitator of that, um, yeah, it's, 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 you gain credibility because you're the one that asked the question. Definitely. Um, I think that that pretty much wraps it up for us today, Stacey. Uh, thank you very much for yeah. taking time to speak to me today. This has been really interesting. Um, it's definitely, definitely stuff that i'm gonna take into my my role as a marketer moving forward i'm sure a lot of our our audience will find it extremely valuable as well um i'm gonna thank them for listening to us today as well um i'm sure they appreciate you you speaking to us today as well stacy and well again i'll just share connect with me on linkedin stacy danheiser 
And uh, I'm on Twitter as well, ShakeMKTG. Awesome. Shake. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Stacey. Thank and, you so much, Will. And we'll be, we'll be back soon with more CMO combos.